welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast are you getting my point this podcast aims to listen to people from different strata of life and who are complete by themselves understand how they perceive life and learn from their life journey my guest today is mr bala anger a multifaceted personality corporate leadership and motivational consultant and a keynote speaker member of professional speaker association of india and has has co-authored a book shifting gears i got the privilege to listen to bala in an extremely insightful and educational session at a toastmasters club i learned there that he was president of ymca toastmasters club in uh, bangalore in the year 1968 69 professional speaker author known knows over 17 languages technocrat with experience in engineering general management it practice and industrial sales in us and canada if you look at his linkedin profile he has mentioned how four phases he has different roles he has played so far so my first question to you bala what's your source of energy I consider myself essentially very lethargic. Something more like a crocodile. You know, I was sticks his mouth open and sort of it is is a state of torpor. But it moves very fast if it sees an opportunity. It really moves very fast. So uh I believe it's important to conserve energy and not waste it. Uh there is a misnomer that someone who sits very still and doesn't move uh, is obviously a very lazy person he perhaps is but there is time for contemplation there's a time for analysis there's a time for looking at what the future looks like uh doing some prognostication and then planning a course of action so physical uh, there are some people who are very physical and very fast and they move around a lot but i wonder if they achieve as much i mean they're definitely in a far better fit state than i am and i carry a little pot belly around and that's a that's an absolute symbol of lethargy i hope that answers your question yes it does it does yeah i think that's a very nice perspective like moving around doesn't always mean that you are energetic yeah and i think the uh, uh, mentioning about crocodile i think that's a great uh, way to look at it like you are in action whenever needed when there is an opportunity otherwise you're just waiting for the opportunity to come towards you that's awesome so how has like if i ask you how has your journey of life been so far uh, personal professional i mean i want to understand like where it started where all it traveled and where it is today it's curiously a question of serendipity which is happenstance a lucky chance and i think uh, fortune favors the brave um um i was the president of the toastmasters club in 1968 i was barely oh I was 19 years old it was a student wow. organization student toastmasters organization and uh, it provoked not that i'm a votary of toastmasters it's Don't mistake me I'm not a lifelong toastmaster sort of person but at the right stage in your life it is the right thing to do and it opened up 
the possibilities of being able to succinctly express ideas in a logical fashion. To do that, you have to think. Not only do you have to think, you have to also fill in data, which means you have to do a lot of reading. And one of the nice things about books is they're forever young. Thoughts of Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Chanakya, all the great thinkers uh, emblazoned immortally. So that influenced a, a young thirsty mind. I was inclined to, to look into that. And I realized that these were two-dimensional, in the sense when you have a thinking mind, it just is two-dimensional. The third dimension is lacking, and that is the aspect of wisdom or experience. Because talking about something and writing about something is one thing. Experiencing it in real life and going for the rough ride is another thing. The combination of the two, you arrive at the same spot. So, so an illiterate person who has absolutely no education um, can be found in a village sitting quietly and they can be absolute fountains of wisdom. What they say is profound, extraordinary, expressed in their language, but profound, extraordinary, and eternal truths, full of wisdom. Then you can have a young firebrand who's gone to university, has decided he knows it all, knows everything, and makes a lot of noise and talks a lot, and repeats things like a parrot without understanding the pain that's involved. So my journey was from one from intelligent studied ignorance to a point of less studies, less knowledgeable wisdom, because wisdom makes you understand the more you know, the less you know. That's interesting. So you started uh, from Bangalore, what I understand. Uh, there was a crisis going on in the 70s when I had most of my education abroad. I was in, as, a, as, a, as a boy because of circumstances. My parents were in the UK. So I grew up in Croydon. And then I came to, back to India because my parents were worried that as a teenager, I might start uh, dating white girls. And they were a little concerned about it. So they, being traditional, Brahmins of South India couldn't countenance the idea, so they brought me back to India, joined the University College of Engineering. And uh, my particular brand of personality or English uh, led it well to uh, cosmopolitan organizations like YMCA and others. So I got involved in the student movement, but not rebellious student movement, student movement of inquiry, debate, thought, etc. And I finished engineering. And in the early 70s, there was the, if, you're, if one remembers, there was the oil crisis. It was the huge, the, the price of uh, petrol went up astronomically. And I was very unsure what the future was going to be. And I wasn't uh, quite uh, comfortable in India. I was comfortable in India, but not quite. Since I speak all the Indian languages, South Indian languages. I speak fluent Hindi and all that. It's not an issue. And I love uh, this country. However, uh, the future looked uncertain. So I decided to go to London and uh, 
meet uh, some of my friends. Well, to cut a long story short, I landed up in Norway because I had an engineering degree. And uh, Norway was into offshore oil uh, platforms, etc. And they required engineers to come and look into process piping, pumps, and oil extraction methods. And they required some people willing to do that kind of a job because it meant uh, being offshore on a platform and then on being on, on land, the inconvenience, flying back and forth on a helicopter in choppy North Seas. Not every, not there were not too many takers, so I got the opportunity. It was, uh, it was a shock. Uh, with a bunch of these burly, strong European people from different parts, and me, the delicate South Indian Tam Tamil Brahmin gentleman in this lot, and I, I managed to survive. Managed to get along, learned the language, learned the, was able to speak, and then. Moved back and forth, and that's how I started my career in oil refining and uh, mechanical engineering related to oil refining. Okay. So, so, so you started as a mechanical engineer. That's correct. So I see that you have moved different, different uh, professions. You went to different well, roles. Well, I, I was sitting in my office uh, in Oslo and. Uh, I was looking at the embassy role and I'd see the fanciest and the biggest cars coming into the American and Canadian embassies. And of course, the British and other embassies were there. I said, boy, I've spent all my life speaking the English language and here I am speaking in Norwegian and transliterating, and, you know, like I like to go home and I say, I think I'll go home. So I said, now, keep talking in this language all the time, but I have the advantage of speaking English, so let me go and try it. So I knocked on the doors, and Canadians were desperate for uh, mechanical engineers and oil engineers, etc. So within two weeks of just appearing for the interview at that time, they, they offered me a, an entry visa, a permanent visa okay. to Canada. And that was, of course, the, the requirement for qualifications and money. Uh, I couldn't go empty-handed. I've got to sh I show a bank account, so I had enough money to get through. So I decided uh, I could have gone to the UK, but instead I decided to go to Canada, which is an English-speaking country. And uh, I requested uh, the immigration officer that I'd like to go to Alberta, uh, Edmonton, Alberta. And he says, "No, laddie, you're too decent a gentleman. I don't want you to go to those wild places. I'll send you to Toronto." Which is very civilized, and he was right. So Toronto became my base in North America. So how did you move to management from there? Well, essentially I became a oil refining, uh, I joined the Texaco Oil Refinery, and I became a rotating equipment specialist, an engineer for that purpose. And leadership is something, I was very young, 27, 28 years old, with a lot of technical knowledge. But then you see there is leadership that comes into play. You have people, teams working for you. This happens to everyone. Uh, you have teams working for you. You have a system of understanding how teams operate from a team. Then you go into a division and from a division you go into a senior position. So by progr progr process of attrition, I sort of uh, was elevated and I was also French speaking, I speak fluent French. 
at that time there was this uh, agitation going on in Quebec independence so a lot of the english speaking gora engineers moved from quebec to ontario and uh, jobs became vacant normally jobs wouldn't be given easily to an indian brown skin fellow and i still remember while i was in montreal uh, refinery there was my chief engineer was a he was, he was a, an englishman and there was another fellow who had just come from england and he joined texaco the two of them were talking and here i am in quebec which is essentially a french speaking province and i walk into the cubicle and these two english guys are saying oh there comes the indian foreigner the pointing out at me and calling me a foreigner and i turned around and i said is que tu passes tu parles français or no moi je ne suis pas un étranger vous êtes les étrangers i said you are the foreigners not me they were very upset but it was a very interesting situation and then when when in toronto uh i moved back to toronto and i was working in carborundum which is an environmental company calls used to come from montreal and then they would call me bala what there's a stupid frog the frenchman on the phone i said isn't it dumb and they used to call all people who are brown skin like me as paki Okay. So that yeah yeah racism was very rampant in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so I said isn't it dumb it take a packy like me to translate one stupid canuck to another stupid canuck. <laughs> you guys are both Canadians. One speaks French and the other speaks English. Uh, that's ridiculous. More to the point to answer your question. My linguistic abilities, my leadership abilities, etc. and my gregariousness the ability to relate to people uh made me drift into industrial sales which is 4 million 5 million dollar projects essentially in the pollution control and the environmental business like scrubbers you know co2 uh so2 uh, extractors and also uh shot blast machines which were used to clean boundary sand off uh casting uh, all these equipment cost a lot of money and uh, sorry about the noise uh, something going on here so the castings etc uh, i became i got involved in sales industrial sales and uh, developing the relationship with companies like general motors chrysler's and other companies and learned the art of the process of sales cycles which lasted over a year and it required diplomacy technical ability understanding commercial knowledge competitiveness finance and other things so that's how i progressed to senior levels through industrial sales and marketing and because of my engineering experience i was later elevated to that of a position of a vice president of the company over uh Canada essentially had vice presidents the presidents were always in the united states so because the owner ownership company the, the president subsidiary companies were in canada and that's how i became involved in senior management that's that's so inspiring and awesome to hear so how did it happen to you is it again naturally how it went to management or well you know it's very strange that uh 
what happened was uh, what I was doing this I also was going for my MBA mm-hmm. so while I was in senior management I I found out there's an executive MBA program uh which was uh 3 years in length because most of the classes used to be held in the evening you know uh and and on weekends and it was as rigorous as any mba course you had to uh write your thesis submit your assignments uh, write exams go through the whole process and net uh, net i discovered uh, mba is a good way of learning common sense what you learn in business you know and that is the core of any business happens to be the total sales less cost of goods sold less taxes is your net profit the so one of the ways of increasing your profit is reducing your expenses which is squeezing on your payroll or squeezing on your supply chain and increasing on your sales and increasing on your net profitability staying ahead of the game making sure you you don't get wiped out like nokia got wiped out overnight and that you still stay relevant and uh, today's context for instance people who manufacture inter- internal combustion engine cars are quaking they're shivering in their boots because right there next to them is the tesla car overtaking the whole process it can wipe out a whole business and the arabs are wondering what's going to happen to their oil so there are major changes that are taking place and that sense of awareness has to be there in business so uh and the future shape of things to come and catastrophic uh, situations like the unpredictable unpredictable 2020 which made a sea change in our lives not that sort of thing where we have no control So these are things that you you are uh, faced with. And so I got into uh management consulting. I was with a company called George May International. And they were Fortune 400 companies and their business was to look at smaller companies, see if they were having issues in profitability. Very often these happen to be very good companies. Uh which were profitable, doing well, but they were started by pioneers with no knowledge of how to run a business and the business suddenly grew and suddenly expanded and they didn't know what to do and at the same time also there were such things as succession planning very well established businesses did well the founders were aging there was a whole bunch of feuding and competing members of the family so succession planning was an issue so these were fortune 400 companies essentially total sales of 400 million dollars or less and our my job or our job was to get into the company we had a case file with that identify issues and turn the company around to profitability which means restructuring management looking at inventory control sales marketing etc but while all of this was going on i realized something new happening and that something new happening was the buzz applications that were being computerized don't forget that i could belong to the the era of uh, dictaphone machines word processes in offices where people put on their headphones 
I still remember seeing my first fax, which I had received from the UK on a plan of a, and I saw the fax coming out. We're absolutely in awe. How could this be possible? How could something like this? Because most of our communication used to be telexes, and we'd be sending uh, drawings and everything through couriers and uh, special speed post, etc. To actually have something happen to you instantly was quite a shock. And uh, we had just transitioned from the rotary phone to button phones, and uh, we used to have pager. And uh, we'd be doing doing long distance calls, and the pager would ring, and then we'd pull over to the nearest phone booth and contact the office and communicate. Well, that may have been cumbersome in hindsight when you look at it now, but that's all we knew at that time. Like even communicating with India was such a problem. You know, uh, making a long distance call sometimes the lines were bad, communication was bad, and so we wrote letters. It's an old habit. Writing letters, and letters were arrived once in 15 days, and we eagerly waited the letter to see how your parents are doing. Those were the days of that sort of communication. I still remember paying 30 cents a gallon. A gallon imperial gallon is approximately 4.5 liters. Paying 30 cents, which is next to nothing. That's why I drove magnificently huge cars, bathtubs with eight-cylinder engines, automatic transmission. Going at a full clip of 75, 80 miles an hour on the highways in North America, so it was quite a shock to my system because I was used to little ambassadors and fiats, you know. So this was quite a change. But let me not drift aside. Coming back to your point, I said the future is definitely going to be an accelerated process. So I said you have to retool yourself once more. And uh, one of the institutions offered a postgraduate degree called the Associate's Degree in Information Technology. Essentially, what they did was they gave you an application, which is building a website. So, building a website required your doing the whole process. Are using any of the languages? You could use VB6, or you could do Java, or use Java Swing, etc. You had to get into GUI design, the front end. And then you had to make sure that the business logic was in place, so that all of that could be done. So you learned programming on one side, you learned graphic interface on the other side, and the back end you learned how to write SQL statements, etc., and looked at various sorts of storage methods, data storage methods, etc., and linkages and kind of connections, you know, uh, different. Uh, Connections, so either Java connections or other types of databases, etc. And that was the dawn of civilization, as we call it, in terms of IT practice. So I graduated with a brand new IT degree because I took a one year's hiatus off. I took time and invested. And when did this happen? This happened in uh, 2001. I was going to be graduating in December 2001, and 9/11. 2000. From all my plans, all my well-laid plans evaporated. I had job offers in California, job offers in different parts of the country, both in Canada. You see, Canada is a land of some degree of opportunity. However, it's very scaled down. All of Canada's economy can be, though very powerful, can be equated to one state of the United States. 
and the United States has got 50 states. I preferred staying in Canada because it had the best healthcare system. And uh, I re- recognize the fact if you look at the future, in your old age, it's better to be staying in Canada than the United States because uh, medicine is for profit in the United States and people suffer a lot. And so I decided to stay in Canada, but that is an aside story. So I was faced to the crisis and coming to the point of your question, that is how I moved from industrial sales, general management, and made a shift into IT practice. That's, that's awesome. This is, I, I'm not able to really, I, I'll tell you that I see people 10 years back, they enter into an industry, like IT industry as a developer, and they are good in one language. And after 10 years, they're just there and they are not moving anywhere. And then they say that, okay, I have become irrelevant now because uh, this language which I learned 10 years back, which was a very uh, significant uh, thing to learn at that point of time today, nobody values that. Like VV6, just an example, like it's <laughs> Microsoft itself doesn't support my VV6 anymore. So, so uh, is it your courage? Is it your curiosity? What is that making you always shifting gears, moving into taking different directions and still thriving there and being so successful? Well, one thing sad about life is nothing is permanent. Uh, one permanence in life is it's impermanence. Right. And this is true for everything. And obsolescence is accelerated obsolescence. It's, it, it, obsolescence accelerate uh, in geometric proportions. If it were arithmetic proportions or linear obsolescence, and that would be comforting. But what you know today is absolute nonsense tomorrow. It means nothing. And um, one of the problems of staying in a rut is uh, what I call mental arthritis. You get absolutely in a rut and you develop the sense of superiority and you say, well, I know everything. The new generation learns something new and they look at you as an old fogey and make fun of you. And uh, they think they are rich, not realizing they too will be in your shoes more. And there is such a thing as ageism. People tend to, uh, in, in a country which is rife with huge population and an excess supply of labor, um, ageism becomes rampant, sexism and ageism. So if somebody grows older, unless they stay relevant, they become refused. They, they, they're, they're like, you know, uh, styrofoam cups. I mean, you use it and you throw it. So they become disposable items. Uh, Staying relevant is something that is very important. So uh, in that context, it's very important for anybody, particularly in the IT profession. Uh, the rate of change is so rapid, and knowledge is so rapid. So I think uh, you've got to shift anything. You've got to shift your focus from the mechanics of a business to the principles of the business, the application principle of a, principle, uh, of a business. For instance, Data storage used to require huge 
amount of space. Now they've shifted it to the cloud and the application has shifted elsewhere. So what you learned yesterday is no longer relevant, something new. And then further and further as you keep going, AI is going to come into the AI takes over and AI can also learn programming skills. It can make the process of designing new algorithms and putting things in place more and more. In fact, there is this concern on, as you know, uh, the part of Elon Musk and uh, the opposite numbers, which says there is going to be that singularity when AI and human intelligence collide and one might take over the other. Um, that is a sort of a scary Frankensteinian scenario. But in the context of what we are speaking, uh, most of us must stay relevant, which means you have to look into the future and see which way it's going to change. And uh, you've got to acquire knowledge to stay relevant. There comes a point, of course, when the old bod, you know, it starts uh, becoming uh, decrepit, difficult, and it would be physically difficult for you to move around, and you suffer from medical issues and other health issues, etc. Uh, well, you can isolate yourself from that situation and keep this portion still relevant. The one below may not be functioning. And over time, uh, our philosophy in India prepares us very well how to die successfully, how to die in peace. So uh, we'll take, uh, to understand that you're going to die someday and prepare yourself. But in the meantime, there's no reason why you should stop to party. Have a good time. Yes. So that's that's that. I'm sure the your thought process is going to definitely inspire uh, the listeners and uh, understand like how to take the life forward and uh, not to uh, accept the stagnancy. I think that's something which I see, despite all good intentions, it's happening to many uh, people uh, at the various point of uh, time in the career. So from your uh, Sorry, You're making a very valid point. Our country, India, suffers from uh, uh, stagnation and also suffers from nepotism and adding insult to injury, it also suffers from uh, this control freakism, the desire to be dominant and control everybody. This is why our people succeed abroad. They do very well because their talents are given full exposure. In India, uh, there's that Bari Saab, yes, sir, and Chopre, Tujhe Kya Malum, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, that sort of a thing is there. And it's, it's one of those uh, legacies of colonialism and legacies of patriarchy. Wonderful, great idea. But don't stifle anybody. Process, let them grow. So, people in India, particularly in the context of India, those who work in India, they are unfortunately victims of this sort of thing. And therefore, it's very much more important for our people in in countries which, which created magnificent machines like Wipro and Infosys, out of nothing created, to keep an eye on 
this sort of stagnancy, to prevent this sort of stagnancy, to reward ability, to encourage ability and strength, and to help develop the mindsets of people around. So, uh, from your journey, if you uh, look back, what are the, uh, which one do you call as turning points in your life, where you thought that, okay, this is where life changed a completely different direction, and what were your learning from those turning points? You see, uh, it's very funny. Uh, life is a cyclical process. It, without your being aware of it, life changes all around you um, without your being aware of it. whoever thought about cell phones whoever even thought about face-to-face communication that was yeah that was stuff of science fiction and we saw that we couldn't even and i know that even in some parts of star wars and star trek and other programs there is such a thing as a rematerialization so suppose you wanted to travel to a different part to a different spaceship from your spaceship you entered a chamber and somehow you disintegrated and were reintegrated somewhere else and now it's a laughable concept we can laugh at what you think that but who knows one day you might be able to do that the difficulty is when you're reintegrated you might find your nose on your knee <laughs> and your knee on your head <laughs> that's a nightmare scenario Frankensteinian scenario. But what I'm, the more to the point I'm saying is things constantly change. And so it is very important to be aware, self-aware. And therefore, you can es- establish trends. And once you establish trends, you know that there's going to be one point, somewhere along the line, there will be a turning point, a major turning point, and things switch. You have to anticipate that you must be aware of that. Uh, one major turning point for us was uh, nature rebelling. One way or the other, nature rebelled. Uh, dolphins started reappearing in the Arabian Sea near Marine Drive in Bombay. People were sighting dolphins. Right outside my house in the trees in the morning, I see beautiful birds, which I hadn't seen for a very long time. Small tits and birds returning. So 2020 is a turning point for everyone. They realize that human interaction is important. Companionship is important. Warmth is important. Uh, Yeah, money is not everything. Uh, Things we take for granted, like food, shelter, clothing. These are precious needs. A part of Abraham Maslow's triangle. At the base, you have your basic needs, which you cannot negotiate. They're not negotiable, such as roti kapra And at the top of the apex is self-actualization. This is the Abraham Maslow's pyramid. So in that context, life is a continuous series of events which make you change and we're in a we're in a cusp right now we realize that if we we're not careful this scenario can this nightmare scenario can repeat itself anytime in the future 
then there's the cusp we're changing from good old 25% efficiency internal combustion engine into very high efficiency electric motor driven machines which also are powered by ai <coughs> which can drive themselves there's changes that occur and if you don't adjust to this and if you don't make changes now in my case to answer your question i sort of removed the aspect of nationality <coughs> i didn't care about nationalities because these are all artificial borders correct and i said humanity comes first excuse me i've got a cough now yeah <coughs> humanity comes first and every one of us needs to eat sleep love live laugh die it's just that we do it in different languages we have different complexions and you see this in melting pot societies of the americas where people from your neighbor can be an ethiopian the other person can be korean this person can be chinese that person can be norwegian and so as a result when you wake up in the morning you have a choice of foods to eat do you want to eat ethiopian for dinner like lunch you want to go and have spanish by year you want to have wines of different countries so you get a cosmopolitan exposure and your world becomes larger and of course when you're when you're earning in hard currency you have the ability to travel all over the world and as you travel all over the world you see different cultures so coming back to the point the common denominator of humanity becomes much more so i don't think in terms of nationality i don't think in terms of languages I only think in terms of mankind and uh, that helps me adapt myself to different scenarios uh, different languages different types of foods wherever I travel uh, there are no expectations so what happens is if in my case in my life when things accelerate and a turning point occurs I can pivot easily and move into another lane it's like driving on a highway you move so because you are flexible you don't have the rigidity of certain things that's where yes it, you, the any form of rigidity is good in a supportive structure where you need a foundation you need structure but even there even in building design in earthquake prone areas you've got to have a hinge structure which will move and bend with the forces and your foundation also has to be anchored to rollers so the whole building can move and the bamboo survives the storm not the oak tree it gets rooted uprooted yes that's that's awesome that's that's a great great learning i see um and now um, you have you are you're so multifaceted you have so many different things that i don't know where to ask and which one to leave <laughs> but i'll start with the language um, so i i know you know so many different languages so i think some 17 languages so oh, that's an exaggeration <laughs> that's an exaggeration not at all so that does language empower you what do the what do knowing so many languages does to a person now i'll be give you an example as a bengali for instance bengalis love their language and it's a beautiful language if you know how to speak it well 
such an elegant, beautiful language. And it so happens a distant relative of mine, uh, I'm a South Indian Tambra, a Vaishnav Brahman. Uh, and uh, his name is Parthasarati Deshikan. Okay. Now, Parthasarati Deshikan happens to be as Tambrahman as they come. But he's famous for singing Robindra Shongi in Calcutta. His wife happens to be Pandit Ajoy Chakravarti's oh, daughter, wow. Kaushiki Chakravarti. And he speaks fluent Bangla and he sings mostly Robindra Shongi, where his wife Kaushiki sings all kinds of music and she incorporates it. And the great Ajoy, a great maestro. Yes. And, you know, so uh, every region has a culture, ethos, philosophy, arts, poetry. And if you're willing to go with an open mind, uh, you realize that each area is a gem. There's something for you to learn, something for you to appreciate the food that you eat. And no matter where you go, if you show respect, you will get respect. And if you make the effort to speak the language, if you make the effort to at least try and speak the language, people are delighted. They say, ah, you know, they, this happens to me in, in, in Quebec. Uh, Quebec is something like Tamil Nadu. Tremendous language pride and uh, complex, a chip on the shoulder. Now, if I go and speak Hindi in Tamil Nadu, Right. <laughs> I'll be treated very rudely, very rudely. Uh, he'll speak back in Tamil to me and he'll curse me in Tamil. And because Tamil is a beautiful language, the poetry, if you can understand it, it is a wonderful language. So, and this is true for every part of India. But Tamil is unique in the sense it has got very little of Sanskrit. All other languages, Malayalam is 45% Sanskrit. Now, if you say uh, uh, if you say something like Priyatama or Priya, yeah, Priya Darshini, it's understood all over the country, okay. from Kashmir to Kanyakumari. Right. Nobody know, nobody uh, can. There's no confusion. And uh, Satya, everybody understood. Asatya, everybody understands. So this is a commonality of languages in our forefathers, and therefore, the same thing is true when you go to Europe. Southern Europe is Latin-based. Northern Europe is German-based. So when you go and you understand these similarities and differences, it's possible to communicate. And if you make the effort now, coming back to Quebec, which is like Tamil Nadu, every time I spoke in French, I'd speak in French because out of respect for them. They would say, Kya? You think we don't have to English, madam? <laughs> I'm English boring every <laughs> So English or Kardia Bat Karni. They start talking in English. Then immediately they say, What? You are talking in English? We don't want to talk to you in English. We'll speak in French. So they change back to French, you change. This kind of leapfrogging happens. In Tamil Nadu you go. You start talking in any language they kind of treat you rudely but when you start talking in Tamil the whole attitude changes and they continue in Tamil and 
they also help you by speaking in english so you can communicate so it is strange that some people identify very strongly with them with their culture with their, their pride here in karnataka kannada kannada has an enormous its literature is extraordinary writing is brilliant uh, it's not today it's several generations and it is a language which is while beautiful none of us none of the kannadigas have any, that that pride they they are willing to accommodate everybody they'll speak to somebody in hindi they'll speak to somebody in english they are comfortable with themselves they don't have this chip on the shoulder you know they are very okay choro that kind of relaxed attitude so you realize the psychology and psyche of different people and that's how you learn to speak and the whole purpose is communication that's all doesn't matter what language you're talking yes i see a strange problem like i'm working with an american company for last 20 years now so i see a strange problem where most of the times people from india uh, hesitate to ask questions or uh, respond to in a meeting um, there is a hesitation so that i do i should not speak something wrong i should not ask something stupid um, I, i i always try to coach the team which i'm responsible for to do uh, make sure they speak communicate effectively or communicate on a timely manner in the appropriate way but why do you think this happens is it like in as indians we have a little hesitation to speak people with uh, western countries what is your thought about it why does this happen and what should we do to make sure people come out of it and become as they would speak this, with another person this is a post colonial remnant It is true that we were treated very badly. When the British came here, they took the best parts of they built beautiful houses, bungalows, separate areas, separate shopping places, everything separate for themselves. And uh, the rest of us lived in poverty, both in the villages and in the small towns where we had mahallas and areas like that. If any one of us went now There used to be people called dubashis dubashis dwibhasha yeah they were the communicators between the english language and this happened in bengal also bengal is one of the earliest uh, kolkata was the capital of india and uh, east india company of course chennai or madras was the next area so the point is some of us managed to rise up to what's known as the indian civil service ics you know what is now known as the ias just be ics and we were brown sahibs brown babus and we went and dressed up just like an englishman they allowed you only to that level but beyond that they said no 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 you can't have the ordinary english idiots from there from that part of the world would come to india and you know they would हम गोरी हैं वैसे तो सब गुलामगिरी तो तुम करो हम तो वैसे आराम से रहे दे लेड अ रॉयल लाइफ बट दे वर छूतियास सॉरी टू यूज दैट वेरी स्ट्रांग लैंग्वेज दे वर नथिंग दे वर नोबॉडी वी वर सो एक्सपोज्ड टू दीस पीपल दैट वी फील एज दो इवन टुडे व्हेन वी सी अ गोरा वी से वी मिस्टेक व्हाइट स्किन सुपीरियोरिटी इवन इवन इन इंडिया 
fair and lovely selves which is bogus nonsense which can hurt you but if you're fair skin you have a natural advantage and i have had people ask me ah you can't be a madrasi you're a madrasi how can you be a madrasi but don't insult me i'm a pakka south indian i am a madrasi i have the intelligence to be able to speak your language you cannot speak mine so there's this nada kaise ho sakte ho itte lambe chode gore aadmi kaise ho sakte ho kya tumhara waise kuch hai baap dadi ke it is circumstances so to more to your point there is that gora thing and uh, second thing is the colonial remnant badi saab unke saab hum hum aise we should not show our ignorance but once these people go to america or go to europe etc they will find out that these people are as ordinary as like you right. or me and you start communicating with them you say no 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 i disagree with you sorry why why do you disagree for these following reasons now this is a virtual meeting he's sitting in america he's sitting in his offices so he will not take offense to you if you tell him straight up front what the situation is and what your doubt is on the contrary if you don't do that and you sit there saying ah yes sir yes sir uh, he's confused right Yeah, yeah, I'm talking to him. So this is something that I also handle in my consulting, which is cross-cultural communication. What is good in one society in one culture is very bad in another society. Like in now it's changing, but in Asia it was considered very rude to stare at somebody or to look at somebody. You had to keep your head down and say yes, you're right. And but in America. and here if you don't look at someone eye to eye that means you're hiding something so if being soft gentle polite and humble is an honorable thing in india that is mistaken for weakness in the west even when you shake hands they they grip your hand very firmly and they squeeze it now you squeeze back with total force and grip and push they back off and they realize iske paas waise khel na khelni chahiye as a result silicon valley has big time entrepreneurs kosla narayan got 10 or 20 names who are multi millionaires vc owners investors developers inventors of new languages all indians you look at the gamut of senior people in the united states indians why people realize their value and they have stood firm so i don't see why we can't do that yeah i think this is uh, like this is definitely going away i've seen a lot changed uh, in past years but that depends on how sure you are of your position you if you take a position you should be able to support it with facts correct if you don't know and if you're unsure then don't waste your time but if you're sure and you can back it up with your logic sure go for it yeah yeah thank you that's that's really a very good way um, we can think before moving forward so I, uh, this kind of hesitation is unnecessary most of the time um, so 
in general if you see the current generation what uh, what would be your like uh, guidance to them when they are starting their career or like how, how what would be your advice to them that what are the things they should keep in mind when they start their career um, so that they succeed but you know i have great hopes for the current generation they're not like us uh, they have grown up in a more independent india uh, they have developed strong appetites they like to order from swiggy what whatever they want uh, the they can change their mind and order something else they are used to different brand names of clothing or like type of clothing that they wear they have developed their own form of communication they they go to comedy clubs and you know they listen to jokes in english yeah. not english english yeah. and they're with it they're not afraid they don't get their head out down and technology is changing in a very big way so they will be learning new things but like anywhere else india consists of tier a cities tier b cities and the rest of the population tier a cities tend to be very experimental they date they go out they go into tinder they have other apps and they get into startups they're very adventurous and very forward thinking they have disposable income they travel abroad they go abroad they get new so this 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 new breed of the indian will keep uh while acquiring a lot of bad habits will also bring in a lot of good habits and the ability to face things beyond time have respects people time do things that's theory Tier B cities uh, have hardworking uh, kids with work ethic, uh, being raised in traditional families, so they understand loyalty, they understand uh, respect, they understand all the old values that existed in India, right. and they will also form a part of the workforce. They will have some of the technological abilities of the new workforce. but they will bring these solid good qualities tata only hires these kind of people tata trains tier b city people develops them rewards them so tata is very successful the manpower and hr aspects tata you have much to teach you so that's the new crowd and then you have huge labor force which our prime minister always talks about atmanirbhar and teaching these people new uh, methods i would say the the most important thing is stop going to colleges and getting degrees ma in english literature history useless nonsense instead learn a specific skill be an expert spend one or two years in a diploma course being an expert either as an electronics person or a tool and die maker or medical technician or respiratory technologist be an expert in what you're doing so that you when you come you only come for that specific purpose you do your job you're the expert you're the authority then you get out no longer is this new economy in the future is not going to be job based 
it's going to be gig based whatever particular assignment you get at that time that's what you charge you'll be an independent contractor and just like a plumber or an electrician you'll carry your bag and you'll go from one place to another place and you make money this corporate structuring and nokri bhai aakhri tak hum aise rahenge that is going to go you got to take responsibility for your retirement for your investments for your funding all of that is going to happen so um always keep learning always be flexible uh look at the new economy look at new trends in india india is a sleeping giant and uh it has it's a country with a great deal of potential we might criticize india we might dislike what india does but that's very wrong 70 years ago the british left us very poor broken starving they cut the nation they amputated us into two parts and we were in a terrible situation we had russia on one side britain on the other and an indifferent we were treated as nobody in the 70 years we built so much we built infrastructure education and we almost went bankrupt in the 90s we had to go and pledge but out of that new turnaround we have come a long way so this country can only look upwards it's and one thing nice now i notice it's sea change in india and that is we are a lot more patriotic we love this country everybody's united everybody honors the tiranga there is such great pride it's so nice to see this and young people of india no longer will put their heads down and walk proud they go all over the world they sing their bollywood songs they dance they talk and they talk in our english majorate and sab kuch karte so i only see wonderful future for this country yes i i i feel uh, very proud of this country and definitely uh, like as you mentioned there's a great potential so that's where we all are investing our time and it's this mitti this dharti we put it in your hand it doesn't belong to anybody it only belongs to you and you belong to it it's so beautiful that's that's awesome that's that's a great thought uh, so bala if you like how would you like the world to know you recognize you and remember you i've never had such a thought when somebody dies 24 hours later if somebody remembers you you should be grateful we are disposable many a sultan is wrapped in cloths and thrown in the desert and sand is heaped at his feet if you remembered by even one or two people you should be grateful there's you're just a little bubble you don't matter you're not important enough as long as you're alive you are a presence but when your eyes close and your soul departs this is nothing but garbage who remembers you ah when you die one of the nice things is they remove your rings your gold and other <laughs> things 
because that's more valuable than your stupid body <laughs> so no no um i don't wish to be remembered in any way or leave a legacy is there somebody who uh if somebody cries over me and remembers me with love that is great i, I think you you means i i i got very little opportunity to interact with you but every moment of interaction with you has always inspired me so much that i i i still remember everything that you said in the last educational session and i'm sure this particular podcast when it reaches to people they will learn a lot from every aspect of your thought process it's very different it's not the way how everybody thinks and it's very new and very fresh always uh, so definitely this is this is a great thing which uh, so you do a lot of uh, uh, motivational speaking as part of it or how does that happen well to be honest with you what's happened is i've recently when i say recent is recent is 2018 i've come to india uh, so decided you see my choice was uh, between settling in florida or settling in india uh, florida is um, if I, if i take it easy it's a 12 hour drive 8 to 12 along along the east coast from toronto uh, toronto is my base and i drive all the way to florida i'm in florida and then i can spend winter there six months there or five months uh, when when it snows and temperature goes to minus 20 in uh, it's worse in chicago it goes to minus 40 so i can just run away from there and go to florida or i can sit for 18 to 19 hours and now it's in fact reduced in a direct flight between delhi and washington delhi and toronto is 14 hours fly there and then take the change and then come here in 18 hours time and in bangalore so what i did was bangalore happens to be my the land of my forefathers uh, originally my name is ayengar which happens to be a tam brand name from south india right. but our guru guruji he had to run away from some political action in the 1000 years ago ramanuja acharya he came here to karnataka okay. and he was staying in a place called melkote out here and he established uh, our temples and our siddhanta vaishnava siddhanta and so we have been here for 1000 years our forefathers okay so Bangalore has been my just like Calcutta is a place for a lot of people Bangalore is my place for many many centuries so i decided to develop a property out here in my my something which i inherited i live in a beautiful area in bangalore so i developed a condominium and i put together a nice apartment complex and i furnished one so this has been my winter home every year for the past from 2006 till now i've been spending my winters in india but then i decided i don't know what made me decide maybe donald trump when he got elected <laughs> i decided to move to india and to stay here and i use this as a base and i travel all over the world this kempegowda airport is very close by and i can go to london anywhere all over the world like east west etc so i uh, decided to stay here uh, to answer your question i'm very new in india i'm unknown 
and I've joined uh, PSAI, which is the Professional Speakers Association India. Nobody knows I exist. Nobody knows who I am. I'm slowly building my brand. You, in fact, you're the one of the earliest podcast interviews I've had. Slowly venturing forward. Yeah, but I'm I'm an unknown entity. Nobody knows who I am, and uh, I don't have any sense of self-importance for them to say, "Are you should know me?" Are you? Does it matter? I think. people i i i want to means i'll i'll see um means i i want many people to listen to you because they said it's there's a freshness in it and that's uh, so unbound it has no bondage it's uh, very open and it's flying and it's empowering every thought of yours every word of yours is very empowering so uh, i wish many people listen to it and i want uh, oh, this probably explains why young people love me young people just i get along very well with young people and not the people in the middle middle level middle age you know young people and i get along very well because i say are yaar come on be free so i think yeah that's so that that's something which is really astonishing like every time learning the new things and being good at it as the, they are i think that's what keeps you relevant and, uh, and in your case your thought itself your very core itself is very free and uh, very empowering so we were we were created that way yeah. we don't realize it we were created that way. we corrupt ourselves maybe in the journey sometime and we don't remain that free so uh, yeah so i i have already taken an more than an hour speaking with you so i i see this It's as exhausting. a great <laughs> no this is great privilege i i, I did not realize till now i uh, till i saw the clock here uh, so any anything that you would like to share with the or say anything to the listeners here before we end this podcast i've always lived by one maxim never take life seriously because you won't get out of it alive that's right <laughs> that's that's very good that's awesome thank you so much bala for your time You're i think I, i i see this as a like definitely this is a great privilege for me to listen to you and get your hours of time Uh, I wish to have more opportunities to listen to you uh, read to you we didn't speak about your book though uh, are you planning to write any more books in my business I'm supposed to I'm I'm a short story writer I write a lot of short stories which I had to publish and also I want to write uh, now I, in LinkedIn I write and sometimes I even put videos on okay. on management issues so I will disseminate my knowledge slowly as time comes along. Yeah, I think that would be great to uh, listen to you and read what is the, what you write. So so that's it listeners. This is a such an enriching and and gripping session with uh, Bala and it is such a privilege that to speak with him and learn so many different things. If you have any questions for him or if you want to know anything more on any particular topic please let me know i'll definitely pass on to bala and try to get his response on those uh, thank you so much bala for your time today very very kind i enjoyed it 
thank you very much for inviting me thank you have a have a wonderful rest of the day you too yes you too